0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at LifeHouseChurch.org. What's your shot? And are you going to take your shot? But when you take your shot, who lives, who dies, and who tells the story? In this epic Broadway show, Hamilton, it tells the story of the founding of our nation, of our founding fathers and our founding documents and how they crafted them, especially the US Constitution. And these guys knew they were doing something great. They had a shot to build a nation and they took it. And in fact, in one of the songs they sing, which is this great kind of resounding song, they they say, I may not live to see our glory, but I will gladly join the fight. And when our children tell our story, they'll tell the story of tonight. Kind of this beginning moment where they can see glory coming, they can see greatness happening. And some of these guys are driven by great ambition. And that's really the story of Alexander Hamilton, an orphaned immigrant who rises from the ashes and becomes a somebody. But you kind of see the pain and the struggle of this guy who is fighting driven by ambition to take his shot, to never miss an opportunity, to do great things, and so he rises up. He becomes a a leading commander in the Continental Army under General George Washington. He becomes a, a delegate from New York to the Constitutional Convention. He eventually becomes one of the guys that drafts the U.S. Constitution, and then, in a passion to see it become the leading document, he writes 51 of the 85 essays that become known as the Federalist Papers. 51 this guy was just driven to convince all of the people that this was the way we should be governed then the u.s constitution is established we win our freedom in the revolutionary war and then alexander hamilton becomes the first secretary of the treasury under President George Washington and as a result he really becomes the founder and the leader of what we now know as the US financial system and the US Treasury later he writes the draft for George Washington's farewell address I mean literally this guy's fingerprints are throughout the founding of our nation what happens when you you don't just take your shot but you live the dream You achieve the dream, but then suddenly achieving becomes the dream. You become driven just to drive. You you arrive, but arriving isn't enough. Now you want more, and so you take more. That's the story of Hamilton. And as we jump back in history even further, We get to a guy named David, and as we're going through this series, looking at different amazing watch list stories, we have this story of King David, who he arrives. He was given a promise that he was going to become the king of the nation of Israel, and now he is the king. He wins incredible battles. He achieves success, but in his success, it's never enough. He keeps wanting more and so he takes more. And so I wanna bring you back to that story. It's found in the Bible in a historical book called 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're introduced again to King David where it says, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem and that's it right there. David started to enjoy his success. He, he sat back on his laurels and enjoyed the moments. He, he had arrived and achieved and now he was enjoying his success. And he sent people out to do things that now he was no longer willing to do. The story continues. So now his entire army's out fighting His generals are out leading, but he stays home from the battle. And one evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof, probably wondering, what am I supposed to do now? And so he's walking around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent a messenger to get her, and she came to him. And David took her and slept with her and got her pregnant, and there it is. David not only is asking others to do for him what he's not willing to do, but now he's taking things that don't belong to him. He's arrived and achieved, but now driven by his achievements, he gets drunk on his own success and he takes another shot and another shot. And he starts taking shots that don't belong to him. And he gets some additions to his resume that he probably didn't want. It reminds you of the story of Hamilton, right? If you've seen the show, you know that in his successes, he then has an affair and that affair leads to bribery and rumors and blackmail, and ultimately cost him his shot at the presidency. This is why Hamilton, who's such a significant founding father, never becomes the president, because he blew his shot. And this story is really about what happens when you blow your shot. You take it, you but you strike out. You take your shot, but then you blow your shot. You sabotage your shot. And, And this is what happens in David's life. David took his shot. He achieves the dream. What today we would say is the American dream, except he goes further. He becomes a king. He wins battles. Then to cover up his sin, David not only takes Bathsheba, but then he has her husband put to death in battle. And he has to cover up his taking of the shot. So what happens next? Well, that's what's key, right? Second Samuel chapter 12 verse one. It says, "And the Lord sent Nathan to David." And here's the moment. David is confronted by the prophet of God, calling him on his sin, confronting him on his wrongdoing, where David had taken his shot and then taken more shots. He he wasn't just content with achieving and becoming the king and winning great battles. Now he wanted more and more. And so he took more and more and what he thought he could cover up and hide, he gets called on and Nathan comes and says, you're the man, you're the one that took and raped Bathsheba, then you murdered her husband in cold blood to cover up your wrongdoing, but you can't cover this up. And suddenly there's this confrontation and a moment of dread and great loss and grief and despair and devastation, where David suddenly is confronted and realizing this could be his legacy. This could be his defining moment, how he will be remembered, who lives, who dies, and who tells the story. And the way David begins to fear the story will be told is of his failure, of his wrongdoing, of his ruin. But let me be very clear. This is not what defines your legacy. Your legacy is not defined by a moment of crushing, of despair, of ruin, even of wrongdoing. Your legacy is defined by what happens next, by what you do next. For David, for Hamilton, this was the key. Let me give this to you. Live a legacy of brokenness. I know you wanted me just to stop by saying, live a legacy. You can do great things. You can take your shot. You can accomplish significant stuff. You were made for purpose. And I'll be clear, you were made for purpose. You were made for significance. There's an incredible opportunity waiting for you. But the key to your legacy is not just living a legacy, but living a legacy of brokenness. See, here's the thing. Every one of us, many of us at least, will try to take our shot. Like Hamilton, you're gonna go after it and you're gonna do great things. But at some point, you'll sabotage it. You'll blow your shot. You'll wreck even your life. And so what matters most is what happens next. The reason why you and I will sabotage every shot we were given is because there's this internal drive in us that makes it impossible to do just great things. We settle for lesser things and we wreck our life. Why? because we're driven by sin. We're driven by doing something that goes against God. We do it our way and we try to make a name for ourselves. But that's not how David's remembered. He's not remembered for his sin, for the rape and murder. No, in fact, years later, when someone else tells David's story, it's found in Acts chapter 13, a great preacher is preaching and he's telling the story of Jesus and he works David into the story. It's said this way in Acts chapter 13. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, meaning God said of David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Really? Rapes, takes and rapes Bathsheba? Murders her Her husband, everything I want him to do? That's right, because the way the story is told is that David did everything after God's own heart and everything God wanted him to do. And from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the savior Jesus, as he promised. See, here's the key. This is what changes the story for David, that David blew his shot. But then in a moment where he, he blew it, he acknowledges, I messed up, but I didn't just mess up. God, it's against you and you only that I have sinned. I've often thought about the passage and say, no, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the nation. But David in brokenness recognized that everyone else pales in comparison to sinning against God. And you and I, when we reject God and we do our own thing, when we take our shot and we keep taking our shots and we go way beyond the scope of what God's given us, we sin, we reject God's way and do it our way. And when we do that, we sabotage our life and God's best for our life. And sin sets us up for failure. It sets us up for a story of ruin so that when our story is told, it's told of failure and shame and guilt, but God stepped in to our story. He took on our shame and guilt and he died for our sin. When Jesus died, he died in our place. He absorbed our sin judgment. So that on the cross, all of the judgment, all of the shame, all of the guilt that we deserve was placed on Jesus, he died in our place. But he didn't just die, he rose from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and sin so when you believe in jesus by faith you're forgiven and given new life when when nathan confronted david david's response was immediate he said i have sinned against the lord shortly thereafter david writes a poem this poem is found in the book of psalms in the bible psalm chapter 51 for you do not desire sacrifice or else i would have given it you do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David acknowledges that what God is looking for is people with a broken spirit, a contrite heart. When you think about the story of David, you parallel it with the story of Hamilton. Hamilton, who took his shot and blew it. He sabotages his own best efforts, and his life is left in shambles. There's this climactic moment in the Broadway show where after their son Philip dies, Alexander Hamilton's broken, his wife is broken, and he desires reconciliation. And in a song, Eliza is singing, and she says, Forgiveness, can you imagine? And everyone in the theater and everyone watching is left with a question Would I give forgiveness? But for Alexander Hamilton, it's could you imagine forgiveness for me? I don't deserve it, I can't earn it. That's the story of Jesus. It's forgiveness. Can you imagine? I blew my shot. I've wrecked my life. I've blown it up. And everyone knows I don't deserve forgiveness. But God in compassion and mercy weaves his story into David's story, weaves his story into Hamilton's story. And forgiveness, can you imagine? So for each of you, if you've wrecked your story, if you've blown your shot, if right now what writes, what's written into your story is shame and guilt, I have good news for you. Forgiveness, can you imagine? So if you want that forgiveness right now, can I encourage you? You say yes to Jesus. You simply receive that forgiveness. He transforms your story. He changes the way your story is told. And your story doesn't end in dread and despair and blowing up your shot. You say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, would you let us know? You can you can text the name Jesus to 81411. And we'll just simply follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new relationship with Jesus, as you receive that forgiveness, can you imagine? Now, as you imagine forgiveness and God stepping into your story, what God does is he doesn't just step into your story, he invites you into his story. That's brokenness. Brokenness is shifting from writing your story to writing God's story. And as they sung in the Broadway show, there's this song, it really captures kind of this shifting of the moment. Uh, George Washington is saying, "'Let me tell you what I wish I'd known "'when I was young and dreamed of glory.'" Meaning I'm dreaming of ambition, I'm dreaming of great things. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. But when you're gone, who remembers your name, who keeps your flame. You wanna know what's remembered? You wanna know what flame burns? It's when you are crushed, when you are in despair, when you go through a season of dread and how you respond will tell the story. That's your legacy. You live a legacy of brokenness and brokenness becomes a story worth telling. David writes it this way in his prayer of confession to God. Create in me a a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And the key to that, the point that you see in in Hamilton's life, you see it, especially in David's life is this. This is a principle I want you you to grab. You live a legacy by having a softened spirit rather than a hardened heart. Those crushing moments, those devastating moments, those moments where you're exposed and your shame is displayed, they can harden you. They can make you wanna cover up and fight back and fight for your reputation and disgrace others. Or they can soften your spirit before God. They can make you tender, they can make you broken. And so what does it mean to have a softened spirit before God? It means that I recognize who is king. Now in in Hamilton, they're fighting against the king. And he's really a a goof of a character in the Hamilton show, right? He goes, "I'll, I'll show you how much I love you. I'm gonna send an army to oppress you. All right, but here's the thing. When you have a softened spirit to God, you recognize that he is king. You're not trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to let the name of God be known. It comes down to this, who's in charge? Who's the ultimate authority in your life? For David, David said, I'm king, but you're king of my heart. I may be in charge of a nation, but you're in charge of my life. You're going to tell the story of my life and you're going to write your story in my life and through my life. So who's in authority over your attitude, over your agenda, over your ego, over your ambition, over your achievements, over where you're going and what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve with your life? Let me encourage you and challenge you. Soften your spirit to God, walk in humility. Listen to me, you're gonna live a legacy when you walk in humility and brokenness before God. When your spirit is softened and you say, God, all I want is what you want. I wanna, I wanna live a life led by you. And suddenly you put God in the driver's seat and you're a passenger in the story of your own life because you recognize that your story becomes part of God's story a softened spirit rather than a hardened heart. Right now, is your spirit softening or is your heart hardening? The stuff from the past, the shame and the guilt, that stuff will harden you, but repentance and confession and humility will soften your spirit. Let God's spirit soften your spirit rather than bitterness and anger hardening your heart. Look, you could be bitter, Or broken you can be sabotaged or softened the choice is yours then David continues in his song in his psalm in his confession he he says this restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant to me a willing spirit I love that a willing spirit to sustain me. You know what's gonna last in my life? A willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors. Then I'll share with others who've messed up. I'll teach them your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Others who are like me, who blew their shot and wrecked their life will also turn back to Jesus, turn back to God when they see and hear my story. Here's the key. Here's what I want you to catch. Live a legacy by having a surrendered will rather than selfish ambition. What's driving you? Is it your own ego or is it wanting to make much of God? Is it your own pride, your own selfish ambition, or a surrendered will? See, here's the thing. It's not enough to say, Jesus, you're my king. God, you're my king. It's one thing for David to acknowledge that God was his king. Recognize that I may be the king of a nation, but God, you're the king of my heart. I may give direction to the nation, but you're giving direction to me and making a declaration that God is king. It's a very different thing to say, God, not only are you my king, but I will obey you. I will take my orders from you. My heart and my will are surrendered to you. It's a, as you wish. God, it's your way. Here's the thing, it's obedience in an attitude of obedience, which is a surrendered will that begins to outlast us. It begins to write a story that is God's story, not our story, not my story. It's radical obedience that comes out of a surrendered will. You're not gonna obey if you're doing your thing. But when you're doing God's thing, you begin to say, God, whatever you want, whenever you want it, I will radically obey. And those are the stories you read about as you go through sacred history. As you walk through the Bible, you see story after story of people who are radically surrendered or who were driven by selfish ambition. People like King Saul, driven by selfish ambition. Pharaoh, selfish ambition. Others, selfish ambition. But then you have individuals whose lives are marked by a surrendered will. Abraham, who says, even my own children are not mine. God, I'm surrendered to you. The midwives of Egypt, who were commanded by the king, by Pharaoh, to kill all of the Hebrew babies, and they disobeyed the king to obey their true king. Moses, who could have you know, embraced the riches and the power and the wealth and the position of Egypt, gives all of that up in surrender to become the obedient deliverer of the nation of Israel. Jump ahead to the three Hebrew men who are commanded to bow before a statue erected by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, We would rather stand when we're demanded to bow because we're not going to obey an unrighteous command. And we will only bow before our king, the king, who's above all kings, the king of kings. And so these three Hebrews, they stand up and they stand out in obedience. What about Daniel, who it was legislated not to pray to anyone except the king of the nation? David goes to his room privately and quietly, bows down and prays to his God, the king of his heart, the king above all kings. And then you jump ahead to the disciples of Jesus, the apostles, who are dragged into court and commanded not to preach or teach about Jesus. And they say, hey, you decide whether it's right in your eyes or not, because we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We're going to do what's right. We're gonna obey God rather than men. Here's the thing, You, you gotta decide right now, am I going to have a heart that's surrendered to God, or am I going to be driven by selfish ambition? Is it going to be my way or God's way? I, I love this moment in uh, the Broadway show where George Washington is challenging Hamilton, because Hamilton wants to go fight in the revolution. And, and George Washington is saying, what, what's needed is you to stay here and fight as an administrator. And so he goes, like "This dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. Are you gonna do it your way? Or are you gonna do what's needed? See, there was this question of surrendered will. Dying is easy. It's living for Jesus that's harder. It's living in obedience that's harder. It's one thing to do your thing, It's another thing to be about God's thing. It's one thing to write your story. It's another thing to live and write God's story, which requires brokenness and a surrendered will. When you fast forward and you get toward the end of the show, Hamilton gets into a duel with Aaron Burr, a duel that leads to his death. But as the show plays out, they kind of slow-mo the bullet being fired. And as that's playing out, Hamilton is reflecting on his life, his legacy. And, and as, he, as it's quoted, he, he says this, if I throw away my shot, is this how you'll remember me? What if this bullet is my legacy? Legacy, what is? a legacy. It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. I wrote some notes at the beginning of a song someone else will sing for me. America, you great unfinished symphony. You sent for me. You let me make a difference, a place where even an orphan immigrants can leave their fingerprints and rise up. I'm running out of time. My time is up, right? And so he's he's reflecting on his legacy, the story that will be told, who lives, who dies, who tells the story. Let me be very clear. When you live your life and you look back, how will my legacy be not only lived, but left? The legacy you leave will come down to not your big moments, not your moments of triumph and victory. They won't be the list on the resume. Your, your legacy will come down to what comes after those big moments in those moments of crushing and devastation and ruin. When you feel dread and despair, it's what happens next. Will your heart be hardened or will you have a softened spirit? Will you be driven by selfish ambition to cover up and get more and take more? Or will you have a surrendered will? Will your story be about Jesus or about you? If you will live your life for Jesus in brokenness, you will live a legacy that matters. Could you imagine if more of us, just a little bit like Hamilton, just a little bit like King David, We're willing to recognize we messed this thing up, but Jesus can take the mess of our life and turn it around and turn it into a a triumph for him and that he could tell a story through our life. Story of today, a story of tonight, a story of fireworks worth launching, not of our achievements, but of the achievement of God who takes brokenness and messiness and writes his story into it. So I want to invite you right now to respond, pray, submit your heart, soften your spirit, surrender your will. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.